All right, so we made it to Into Darkness, which is the film that you've been dying to talk about, Clay. I think it's the reason that we're doing the yes. Kelvin films is because you want to talk about, is it, it's Peter Weller, right? It's not Paul Weller. Paul Weller is like the bassist for the jam or something like that. Is it Peter Weller? Peter Weller. Peter Weller. I will be talking like this the entire time <laughs> in order to make it seem like what I'm saying has more weight than it actually does. You have to you have to kind of talk like you've got peanut butter stuck to your teeth and you're trying to you're trying to get trying to get it off with your tongue and your your lips start to spread <laughs> apart in a really strange Excuse way. Excuse me while my eyes well up about stuff you do not care about. Uh, I was reading a review. Benedict Cumberbatch was described by someone as unhandsome, which is interesting to me. <laughs> and I, I what I was what looking does that at even him mean? and he he like he is oh, I, he's, he's a very strange guy like he is handsome but he definitely has features that would you would not expect an handsome person to have like if you if you compare him to chris pine just going off of each other he does look a little bit off in terms of like mm. what you'd expect but i it just caught me off guard but i think it's an accurate description of him uh, i don't know if we want to start the conversation there but i just i thought it was a funny description of an actor who i previously would have been uh, described as handsome but i guess i could see the reason why you wouldn't describe him that way I have always thought he looks like he is one Photoshop filter away from being a cross between a human and a gray alien. Yeah. yeah. So he's got a very unique look. He does. Let's yeah. put it that way. He's, he's distinct, I guess is the best way to say it. Yes. There you go. Distinct. Let's, um, let's play some music and then we'll come back and we're going to break down Into Darkness. Right, so this is Star Trek Into Darkness. It is the second Kelvin film out of three. It came out on the 16th of May, 2013. It is the 12th of 13 Star Trek films. Written by Roberto Orsi, Alex Kurtzman, and Damon Lindelof. Directed by J.J. Abrams. So pretty much the crew from the first movie. Produced by Abrams, Burke, Kurtzman, and Orsi. In this movie, a series of terrorist attacks on Earth places Kirk on a mission to deal with the culprit. Nothing is as it seems as the Starship Enterprise is entangled in covert machinations to ignite war between the Federation and the Klingon Empire with an ancient enemy in the mix. With alliances tested, relationships strained, and differing motives clashing, how costly will be the thirst for vengeance? Talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. Roughly the, uh, the $26. Movie. What is what, Roughly how many? $26. $26 worth of vengeance is about... About what it is two ticket prices or maybe that's yes. one ticket price i guess depending on where you live to go now it movie. is yeah jesus christ um so i i would describe this movie as bad a bigger version <laughs> of the first movie um i'm probably i like i i would agree with you that this movie is bad i find mm. it for some reason more watchable than the first movie um, Interesting. Like yeah. I just, I I know it's not good, and I'm watching it, and I'm kind of like laughing under my breath during a lot of the stuff that's going on. But I I just feel like if these are going to be, if the Kelvin movies are going to kind of be this thing, I th I think the thing that held me back from really embracing the first one is that I go into these kind of just expecting them to be action movies, and this one feels like it it is the aliens to the alien of movies like it's just bigger mm -hmm. in pretty much all regards it's got more aliens in it it's got more stuff there's more there's more emotion on the screen and stuff like that sure is um yeah. but i know Slather it's not good all over the lens i, I, know, I yeah. know i know it's not good you know um 
I, I'm I'm being a bit hyperbolic, obviously, uh, but I think I you know I, I'm I'm curious if the reason for that the way you that you think that is because it has more Star Trek stuff in it. Is like that possible? references? References? You mean? Yeah, I don't mean like necessarily references, but like you get you get a little bit more. Uh, you get a look into Starfleet a little bit more. You get some uh, Section Thirty One stuff. You get like the uh, like because I I have that I I react that way to stuff too. I'm, and again, I'm I'm not saying this is why you're doing it, but yeah, like this is the kind this is the kind of movie that I could see myself. Maybe the first half of this movie is the movie I could see myself rewatching. Just because it's sort of more like living in the world they've created a little bit more than the last one was. Yeah. Because once they get onto the ship, it's basically they're on the ship. This one has a lot on Earth. There's probably more action on Earth in these across these two Star Trek movies than there is in any other Star Trek series. It's always surprising me to, to me that the ships crash on Earth at the end. I, I assume they were billions of star of light years away from Earth for whatever reason, but they're, right. they're just knocking yeah. on the door of Earth. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the, the 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 that last final battle ship to ship takes place like in in walking distance of the moon, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um it's and it's it's a movie that uh watching it this time cuz I had really uh sour memories of it from watching it the first time and I haven't seen it since. But this time I I actually was on board for for about 45% of it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Up until they reveal who Khan is, I I was on board. I was like, okay, yeah, bigger movie, fast paced. They're they're definitely taking the uh, the um, they're they're definitely uh, using the launching pad from the first one stylistically to keep doing more of that stuff. And then they reveal Khan, and it just nosedives for me mm-hmm. because. They reveal Khan and they they take like 15 minutes in the middle of the movie where everybody explains everybody else's position, Um, where Khan explains his entire backstory and then they call up uh, uh, Marcus and Marcus explains his entire plot and backstory. And then uh, uh, I'm speaking sort of, you know, uh, 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 metaphorically. But then they literally call up Spock, and Spock literally explains to other Spock who Khan is, yeah, which yeah. I can't fucking stand. Yep. And then from that point, it just turns into this massive bloated action thing with all this manufactured drama um, that's just a soft, or, or I should say a, 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 a heartless retelling of Wrath of Khan with, a, with the characters flipped. That almost feels like it almost feels like uh, in wrestling. There's there's a phrase uh, um, of getting your win back. Where like if you like for instance uh, in WrestleMania, uh, you're gonna kill me. Uh, six, I think. Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan fought each other once. It's the only time they ever fought, and Ultimate Warrior won. And then when uh, Ultimate Warrior joined WCW years later, everyone thought it was so Hogan could get his win back, you know? Yep. So you beat me once, I beat you once, now we're even. This feels like Spock getting his win back from dying in Wrath of Khan, where it's like now Spock gets to do all that like dramatic shit. Yep. But it, it, this movie, it feels like it was written by Spock, the last half of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean the actor. I mean the character yeah, the of Spock. Character where he's like, you know, it. I really didn't like the way they treated me the first time around. What if, what if Spock 
just gets to be an action star and just kick everybody's ass. And he this time, what if Spock gets to yell Khan? You know, it just it feels it feels really weird and, and ham fisted. And then it turns into a uh, uh, a really generic destroy the city thing, which was really hot at the time. Yeah. Um, it's just a really weird mishmash of stuff in the second half of this movie. A remnant of a time long past. Genetically engineered to be superior so as to lead others to peace in a world at war. We were condemned as criminals, forced into exile. For centuries we slept, hoping when we awoke things would be different. Yeah, it's funny because I don't... um. I don't see a big distinction between once Khan comes in and what happens to me. It all feels um, of a piece where th- this movie is like, I- I'll just say it again. Like the movie is just bigger in pretty much every mm-hmm. way. And I don't know if that really works because where the first one did have a kind of Star trek feel to it. This one is just like, it, they might as well have just called this one like Star Trek wet eyes and close-ups because 90% yes. of the movie is just people in extreme close-up with on the verge of tears about something. Mm-hmm. Like everyone is like that. And it, it feels to me like they they had this idea of like, well, it has to be like Empire and you have to go a little bit dark. But they don't really do a good job of explaining why everyone is so emotional at this point right. in the story. Like right. you, I, I feel like we just, how much time has passed between this and the first movie? Unclear. Unclear. They don't, they don't mention it. So it seems relatively soon. Remember. Is that yeah, fair? It's, 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 it's got to be relatively soon because, uh, I, I mean, they, the Pike talks to Kirk or berates Kirk as though he, is, he hasn't been doing this very long. Right. And, and they haven't started they a haven't, five-year mission or anything. Yet. Right. Yeah. They haven't gotten a mission yet. Yeah. So it, the thing is that it just – it doesn't – if time has passed and things have changed, it kind of has a motion picture thing where you don't really understand where the characters are at when they're coming into this. It feels like things have mm-hmm. changed, but you're not privy to knowing what has actually changed with them. And it's just like, if anything, the thing that was carrying me through is just watching the actors. And it, I can't say that the actors are not trying in this movie, but it's... Oh, they're trying real hard. Everyone's yeah. <laughs> trying real hard, but it's also every single scene is like that. So it's like they're, they are nailing the aesthetic that they wanted to do. And what I think this movie is, is this movie is the genesis of the discovery storytelling method. I would agree with that 100%, yes. It's very much everything that comes from this is what discovery does, and that, which is to, um, to take incredible melodrama and pair it against a story that is very tough to parse out. I guess we had a uh, conversation on the Discord and Twitter about this, and I guess you could say that the script makes sense, but it's not easy to understand while you're watching it what's going on with people. Right. Is that fair? Yeah. It's one of those it's one of those stories where like as you're watching it, if you're not super paying attention, I feel like the heavy lifting is done by the emotions that you're getting on screen at the time. Uh so it's like it if you're not really paying attention to the plot, you're like, you get that. Okay. Khan is the bad guy. Oh, then Marcus is the bad guy. Okay. But now Khan is the bad guy again. And that's fairly, that pretty more or less gets you through the movie. But then you kind of dig into it to really parse out what's going on. And it's like, this is really convoluted or at least the way they're presenting it is really convoluted. And then when you come out the other end, it's kind of just like, Oh, okay. 
Khan was the bad guy. Marcus is now the bad guy, and now Khan is the bad guy. So it's yeah. what it's a weird it's a weird road you go on with the story. I through the, the discussion of, on Discord, it makes it seem like the way that the story is presented makes it seem like there are a lot of layers to what's going on, right? And there really aren't. It's really kind of right. simple. Um, so to just quickly rehash it in case people are confused, because I was confused and I needed help figuring out what's going on. Marcus unfreezes Khan. And he mm -hmm. wants him to use his intellect and his powers to sort of get the Klingons to go to war with him. So he has Khan design these weapons and the ship for Which, him. Which, if I could jump in for a second, is hilarious because the dude's 300 years old. What, how is he going to really... He's going to catch add, up on Wikipedia. He's just going to... Yeah, is he going to do like a data thing where he reads the entire manual in 30 seconds or something? Like, I just don't know. Even if you woke up the smartest person who was abnormally smart from 300 years ago and said, hey, can you help me build a better bomb? They'd be like, can you give me like a while? Yeah, first they need to, to invent up? electricity or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess technically they don't explain how long it's been, but still, it seems like a, it seems like a bit of a stretch to me. So Khan is unfrozen. He does this for Marcus. Khan tries to escape. And the reason that Khan is doing this is because Marcus is holding the other superhumans hostage, basically saying, Correct. if you don't work for me, I'm going to kill them. Khan tries to escape by building these missiles that he's going to sh uh, sort of get his people out of there. Um, he's, kind of, what's the word? he's trying to like um, uh, smuggle, smuggle the people yes. to get them into freedom. And he is found out and he escapes. Marcus mm -hmm. finds the people in the torpedoes. Mm -hmm. And to start a war with the Klingons, as a Section 31 member is prone to do, he goes and has the Enterprise, under the guise of killing Khan, fire these missiles at Kronos. And that causes uh, Khan to come back because he knows that the missiles have his people on them, so he has to stop. And Marcus's entire plan, it seems, is to attack the Klingons and get a reaction from them, and also simultaneously wipe out all of Khan and his followers in the attack. Right. But in the middle of this, Khan attacks Starfleet. Yes, which is which, after he has broken up with Marcus. He does yes. this, yeah. He breaks up with Marcus, he attacks Starfleet by trying to blow up Section 31, and then he shoots up the Admiral's dinner party or whatever. And that is then used as an excuse for Marcus to jumpstart to jumpstart the war with the Klingons and also hopefully kill uh yeah the the idea is Khan. to kill Khan but if he if he incidentally creates a war with the Klingons that's Marcus's goal basically right right so my problem with the script is that i approach this as someone who's familiar with Khan thinking that Khan is pulling a lot of strings in what's going on here mm. and he's yeah. really not he's a very passive nope. villain in this movie who Frankly, he makes a lot of mistakes that aren't really con-like um, to me. Like, if you're going to play this guy up as some kind of superhuman, super genius, I feel that he should be playing Marcus and that everything that happens up to a certain point, up to him getting the ship, is what he planned for it to happen. And right. that's not actually the case in it, which is really strange, really disappointing, and it simplifies the movie a lot when you're not watching it through that lens. Yeah, it's... it's uh... He's just trying to get his kids back, basically. Yeah. And uh, he, the only reason he turns into, like, a, a terrorist is because he keeps getting fucked over by Starfleet. Right, yeah. If Starfleet had just been on the level with him, everything would have been fine. Uh, <laughs> and even so, after after they, they after they bring him back on the Enterprise and he explains the whole thing, 
uh, if Kirk was just like, yeah, yeah, sure. You help us out. We'll give you your, yeah, everything will be fine. You know, there's no, like, there's no reason to double cross Khan. Right. Cause Khan is not doing, I mean, obviously he killed a bunch of people, but, uh, but he's not doing anything shifty in no, this whole story. Kirk is just angry because Pike died. Like the, the whole thing right. is just an emotional ploy. And you, you just end up like, I, I watch things like that. And like, it, while I'm watching the movie, it seems fine. And I'm like, oh, Kirk is angry. So he's going to go after Khan and everything like that. But it, it, when you start to think about it, you wonder things like, well, was Khan attacking that group of Starfleet officers? Like, that seems like a mistake on Khan's part, right? Because he causes mm-hmm. Kirk to go haywire after him. And all right. Khan is trying to do is get even with Starfleet. It just seems like the Khan of this movie, while he's portrayed as a genius, is like incredibly myopic and short-sighted about what the outcome of his acts are going to be. Mm-hmm. And I find that really disappointing. And it really, when you when you get to the end of the movie and you realize that he hasn't been this sort of like nefarious evil genius who's pulling the strings and now has this plot to both resurrect his people and take over Starfleet and everything, you're just like, well, that was kind of lame. Like, why was the script so convoluted if it's such a sim- uh, simple story? Yeah. And uh, it, like the part where they, where they go on to the Dreadnought, or whatever. Yes. That's, I guess that's the the, the name the fa- of the make the, of the ship is the dreadnought. Yeah, class. it's the hip the hip term for giant starships, I guess, because they use that in the Last Jedi as well. Um, and and Kirk tells Scotty uh, as soon as we get to the bridge, shoot Khan. It's like up to that point, you have. Uh, I mean, I guess you don't trust him because he's a killer or whatever. But like, if you didn't, if they didn't do that, there's no reason why Khan wouldn't have been like, "Thanks for helping me. <laughs> you guys can go." <laughs> You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, yeah. It's I. It's Khan attacking Starfleet is like the is the outlier here of him being a bad guy, and obviously the stuff he did is terrible, but it's not entirely unmotivated, right? Like I feel like you could, to an extent, explain it away. Like if you sat down with him and Kirk, Kirk would be like, "All right, I see what you're saying. How about you just like come back with us." Everybody will be fine. We'll save your people. You know, it's like I feel like the I hate to I hate to do that thing where it's like, well, they should have X, uh, and I I don't really even think you can do that in this because there's so much shit going on. But um, I think the the bigger problem is that Khan is played as a evil genius. You know, yes. like he's he's played in the way that you should feel that his actions um, are not deserving. That he is like the ultimate of cruelty and everything like that. But right. he's he's not really that character. So it's a strange. The only the only reason that we know he's a bad guy and is like the the most brutal person ever is because they call up old Spock and Spock says it. Yeah, when he stomp, like, when no- he stomps on uh, Marcus's daughter, that's pretty pretty brutal. <laughs> that was true. That's I mean yeah, but you know you got to do what you got to do. Uh, no, obviously obviously that's bad. But like it's it's a lot of. Like, why do they need to do that? Why do yeah. they need to? And and what does does Spock tell Spock that he died in the thing? Because he because they cut away when he's like, "How did you beat? How did you beat Khan? The ultimate, oh, what did it they, cost? The ultimate price or something like that?" Yeah, yeah. and like, does he so does he tell? Because that usually when you do that in a story, the information that you're given in uh, uh, the information that your character is given after you've cut away somehow plays into the resolution of the thing, sure. you know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, where it's like when someone comes over and goes, I know what to do. Come with me. And then you cut away. When you cut back to that story, they do the plan that they told each other in between scenes. Yes. Yep. 
that's not the case here. That it, like I don't know what Spock told other Spock, but it doesn't help him win. Except except maybe he goes down when he goes down to see Kirk dying in the back of his head. He's like, oh, that's ironic. <laughs> He needs an Instagram uh, filter where he can put himself superimposed on top of him. My uh, my plot question, because we've parsed out like who's connected with who at what point and all this kind of stuff. At the very beginning, when uh, Mickey from Doctor Who blows up uh, Section 31, he downloads something and sends it to Marcus. Yep. What is he sending to Marcus, and wh- why is he doing that? Is he is he trying to tip off Marcus that this happened, or wh- I, don't, Khan, I don't understand? Khan is having him send a message saying that Khan is responsible for it. That's what he sends. What yes. he send him? Yeah. Do how do you do? Is do they say that on screen? I think there's a. I think the message says something that like it mentions his name or something like that. It mentioned either Harrison or Khan, or it doesn't say Khan. Oh, it would have to say Harrison or something. I think. Oh, okay. I thought because I thought the point was uh, he goes down and he downloads some files or something from the Section Thirty One archives and then blows the place up. But it's just he sends. He just goes down there to blow it up, and before he blows it up, he sends, sends Marcus an email. Yeah, I think to to let Marcus know that he's out there. I guess, and he's coming for him, something like that. I, I don't really sure. know why he would do it or why it's necessary. Um, I find that to I find that to be unnecessarily confusing because those scenes are usually, oh, he's he's doing something secret for the bad guy, and then he blows everything up. But in this case, it's he's sending a message, or what, I don't know. I just that, that's that's a that doesn't track with me visually versus what they're doing versus what visually it looks like is happening yeah ironically what i think actually really works is that i think it's pretty effective um the scene the the setup for why this guy is recruited by khan really works for me in this like Mm, in this overly melodramatic like everyone is weeping movie the father being motivated to help his dying kid from khan and killing himself in the process i i feel like that's the kind of thing that the movie was going for, but it only works in this. Not it's not a throwaway, but it works in this relatively minor scene, and it doesn't work throughout the rest of the movie. Where I feel like everyone right. should be having the kind of sacrifices that that father is making. But you know, it's we we talked about it because because this big movie about killing yourself to save other people. <laughs> because because this movie is kind of a new thing but it's still at the same time based on TOS. It doesn't have the build up time that the first movie allowed it to. You don't feel the same way for these characters that you did about the TOS crew in the TOS movies. You know, it's right. like they're different. And so when you go from just the first movie into this melodramatic movie it just none of it feels earned and you just feel like they're intentionally pushing buttons just to get those kind of reactions out of people and it doesn't work well i think that they do uh, you know when i said i'm on board for about 45% of it i think what they actually do really well is uh establish where kirk and spock are with each other mm-hmm. um at this point in the in the story where after the uh that first mission um spock goes by the book and files a report and then, you know, Kirk ends up getting chewed out and getting getting the uh, Enterprise taken away from him. So you've got Spock and Kirk and Spock uh, butting heads. Um, it's kind of weird because it's like, I feel like Spock got a little dumber in this movie. Yeah. Or he, like he went, a, he got a little bit more Vulcan or something. Cause yeah, he, he's he much more, he's, kinda, I know he's totally, he, he, they can't play up the, for as as much as the first movie played up the fact that he's half human, this seems to take mm-hmm. it all away from him. 
Yeah, and he's doing a lot more like, I don't quite compute what you're saying. It's like, come on, man, you understood that shit. Yes, in the last telling, telling people uh, brutal truth and not understanding why they're upset by it is a big yeah. trope of this movie. Like, and the, other, the other thing I know is that they, they did that to Spock, and they also, they also, I would say that they basically assassinated McCoy, who in this movie only spews lines that sound like they were like mad lib attempts at writing McCoy dialogue. Yes, yes. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, back to Spock, Spock and Spock and Kirk battling with each other at the start. I think makes sense. I yeah. I wonder like, as much as I think it's effective. It, do you think that the arc that those two go through in their stories in this movie is cohesive about no. that? It, it, no. what, what's and funny to me is that the lesson that they seem to both learn at the end is not what the setup is about at the start. Yeah, and it's it's um, as much as I like where they start them they very quickly kind of move away from that once all of the con shit starts happening mm-hmm. like the the last the last point where you really get any kirk and spock character stuff is um in the the shuttlecraft when they're going down to chronos to kill uh con when they're in that con. when they're the triangle seating arrangement with everyone's back is to each other <laughs> very yeah. oddly yeah uh, that scene was pretty silly like i i think it's very melodramatic it's so melodramatic is the problem i I think they take uhura for a bit of a ride in this movie too because they kind of turn her into the angry girlfriend for the most of it and Mm kind of take away a lot of her agency um i wouldn't say she was great shakes in the first movie though she's no she's pretty backgrounded in both movies yeah i didn't feel like she was just there to be spock's girlfriend though in the first one yeah well they had the Um, interesting about they had to hide their relationship which was a little bit more interesting than here openly weeping into each other's arms yeah and like i I feel like i don't know i don't think uhura the uhura from the first movie is the kind of person who's gonna get into a relationship argument on the way down to a mission you know yeah yeah um i did like the scene in the elevator though when he's like wait are you guys fighting what is that even like I like i thought that was pretty good <laughs> they do um you, i think the com- well yeah uh the, i think the comedy works better in this movie than the first one even if it doesn't work all the time yeah there's definitely less of it than there was in the first one yeah although i think the comedy works um to a degree because i think when the jokes don't land it sticks out as an incredible like i think the worst joke is um when Khan and Kirk are waiting to be shot out of the ship to fly to the other, the Enterprise or whatever, mm-hmm. they have, they're talking about something and it's played for laughs and it's really awkward at that point because Khan has just had his dramatic like speech where he's looking at the camera and then he's kind of having, he has to play the straight man to Kirk's uh, ignoramus in that scene and right, it's like, right. this is silly, I don't like this. I do I do like in that scene at the, the tail end of it though where, where Khan crouches down in like ready position and then Kirk just kind of like, does a double take yeah. at him? He's like, "Yeah, I'm also going to crouch down to ready position." I thought that was right. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, well, to get back to, because I do think it's important. Kirk's lesson, I suppose, in this movie is that he starts off with the hotshot who's willing to break risks, and I guess the ending lesson that he learns is that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, right? Which is his sacrifice angle. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really understand how that tracks i guess it's just to be that he learns that the risks that he's taking put other people in danger sometimes so he makes the sacrifice himself and that's the lesson that he's learned spock's arc makes a little bit less sense to me i think where he starts off as the rules are the rules guy Mm -hmm. 
but I don't know what lesson he's learned by the end of it. Like, what what is he supposed to be? He just, he realizes that Kirk is killed by Khan and then chases him down and beats the shit out of him. And it's like, right. what, what's Spock's lesson here? Why is he so emotional uh, and what's he learning? If, if I had to take a swing at it, it's not that he's learning a lesson as much as at the beginning of the movie, all of the dialogue with other people and Spock is talking about how Spock manages to shut off his emotions. Mm -hmm. And he does that not because he doesn't care, but because he cares too much. And he's doing it like he's utilitizing everything, uh, or I should say compartmentalizing everything in order to do his job. And at the end, is what after Kirk dies, is when he finally... Because Spock's whole thing is, is people not understanding how he can't take other people's feelings into an account, right. sort of. Yep. And the end of the movie ends up being him essentially letting it all out like this is when spock's human side all of his emotions he he decides not to compartmentalize it and it all just comes flooding out and turns him into a silly action hero but but i i feel that you could do that you could accomplish what he accomplishes at the end of this movie with pure logic spock you know what i mean like sure yeah the, the releasing of him feeling bad for kirk is if if you think the development of him just letting that emotion out is enough, but to me, like if Spock reacted like a pure Vulcan when he saw Kirk died and then chased down um, Khan and did the same to him, I would say that's exactly the same. Like both of those make sure. sense to me. Yeah. If anything, if anything, you think the way that you might want to play it is have Spock shut down even further after the death of Kirk, where it's like he turns into RoboCop essentially. Right. And then systematically hunts down and beats the shit out of uh, uh, Khan. Um, but it's only when Uhura appeals to his emotional nature that he decides that it's it, emotionally, it's not, it's not the right thing to do to kill this guy or something like that. You know what I mean? Where yeah, it's you, like he, you can almost flip it where he logically determines that Khan has to die and Uhura talks him out of it and by appealing to his emotion on some level, like Kirk right. would want you to do this or something. Yeah, that's kind of a weird flip, but they they don't do that with them. They don't no, really they do don't. anything with them. Also, my other huge nitpick with the plot of this movie, and I made sure to listen because there was I thought there was an out, but they but they but there's not because they do mention that this is the case. Um, the end of the movie is them going, Spock, you can't kill Khan. We need his superpowered blood. They literally to call bring it super, Kirk back super to blood. life. Yeah. <laughs> You need his super blood to bring Kirk back to life. And they're like, okay, that's what makes Khan's life important. It's too bad they didn't have 72 other superhumans on the ship at the moment that they could just take the blood from and just kill. So watching it this time, I was like, oh, maybe they don't know that everybody else is also a superhuman. Maybe he doesn't say it. Maybe he only says that he is. But I watched the scene again where he explains it, and he does say that they're all superhumans. Yeah. Yeah. So... Blood was frozen. The, Takes a long. It's like when you're hungry and you got to take the frozen like uh, chicken out of the fridge. And you got to sit there for an hour waiting for it yeah, to thaw. Does that does that take longer than <laughs> hunting down Khan and beating him up and bringing him back to the ship? I don't. I don't think so. No. I'm, it's this is Discovery's storytelling, right? It's yes. Just hundred percent. It, it's 100%. fast, fast, fast. Keep your foot on the gas and don't worry about the bits of the car that are falling off as we're driving down the highway. Even, even the the opening scene. Where the argument between Spock and Kirk is that uh, uh, you can't let yourself be seen because you're violating the prime directive. 
The entire thing they're doing is violating the prime. Dir- I'm pretty sure Pike says that to them. Yes. The, and, and the chewing them out where he's like, guys, you being there at all is a violation of the prime directive. Yes. So they're, it's like they're, they're saving this species from death because by interfering right. with volcano. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, it's even, even that opening thing and the, the, the genesis of this uh, character um, drama is, is not entirely honest because they're using Star Trekky stuff inside this uh, a blatant disregard for the thing they're actually talking about preserving although that is fairly that is fairly uh uh how star trek generally goes with the prime directive. yeah i mean the, the, that's tough because what we're thinking above is the prime directive <laughs> inversions like in tng episodes like Homefront and uh the masterpiece society which i think are actually bad episodes because they have picard and crew follow that idea where it's better to let people die than to let them know that you exist in the, right. the tng universe which which i feel is like morally reprehensible on starfleet's part but it does fit in with the if you want to have this as a rule and be at the prime directive there is a little bit of like narrative conflict within that idea about what what char- some characters would think they, they would agree with that some wouldn't the opening scene is just strange because you fix that by Spock is not on the planet with them. And like Kirk chooses to do this and Spock is voicing his disapproval, but he he's only second in command, so he can't just turn away from Kirk. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just this this need to have them all involved in the action and throw Kirk uh, or Spock in, down into the volcano and have him do his Star Wars uh, planet thing situation there. It's just, it is sloppy and messy and everything like that but the to to move into something that i do like or what i think is intentional and even if i don't like it it makes me wonder about like how much of a grasp the filmmakers had on the movie i think the casting of peter weller is semi-genius and actually shows what they think they're doing with this movie Mm -hmm. because he is um he is over the he's over the top and the kind of not that his acting is over the top, but like casting him here in this role makes it just feel like the filmmakers recognize that this is kind of an over the top, not realistic Star Trek movie in some ways. Like it's it is the action movie of all of these, or it's the um bombastic one. I just feel that if if you wanted to play it as more of a serious role, I don't think Weller fits that characterization of the Admiral. I think you'd you'd cast someone a little bit quieter than he is in this. Mm-hmm. And just I think that that casting, the way that they play the close-ups, the way 85% of the shots in this movie are close-up and people crying, they're really just laying into this melodrama thing that Discovery also does. And it's just they don't recognize that... Um, this group of writers, particularly this career, I think some of them have moved. I don't think Lindelof is really like this anymore. I think he's grown as a writer over the yeah, past decade. I think uh, after after he dipped his toe into Star Trek and Alien and was completely uh, blasted away by a lot of the fans, uh, I think he really reappeared. He really re- rethought his approach to pre-existing material. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the podcast about Watchmen, like the first episode is him essentially talking about like, I don't think I should do this. Right. Uh, if I'm going to do it, it has to be worth doing, et cetera, et cetera. And even if I do it and it's, I have to make sure that if it's bad, it's bad for reasons that I, you know, it's like he's, he's considering stuff a lot more as far as, uh, uh, licensed ip that people love you know yeah i think he i think he's just developed as a writer based on the yeah, last I couple so projects too. he's done like he's actually he might have started off like kurtzman 
and uh, Orsi and everything like that. But it seems like he's moved in a different direction. But the people who have moved on to taking control of Star Trek television shows still seem to have this kind of mentality going for them. Yeah. I was actually... Um, did uh, Kurtzman and Or Orsi both wrote this movie as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was a little surprised, actually, because I thought the first movie was a nice balance of that stuff, for the most part. Of what stuff? Um, of the... Uh, I guess now that we have seen Discovery, you could say the the Kurtzman stuff and the non Kurtzman stuff. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I thought so the I first was, movie, the first movie, while I was watching it, I wasn't thinking, "Wow, this is a very Star Trekky movie." But after watching right. this one, I was like, "The first one's a pretty Star Trekky movie." I guess you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, I was I was a little surprised that it wasn't a little bit more even handed. Like I. I for um for a second I forgot to look and see who the, the credited writers were. I I assumed it was Kurtzman and J.J. Abrams. Yeah, because this feels like I I hate to I I don't love being criticizing J.J. Abrams's uh, visual proclivities because you know he likes to do stuff sometimes. He'll use lens flares. I thought the lens flares were fine in this movie as as well as the last one. They look cool. Well, I, what it's I think is funny look. is his, I think his direction is pretty much the same as it was in the first movie, but his style fits this movie better than if it's sure, the first movie. Sure, But I will say that based on this movie, the first movie, and the most recent Star Wars movie, Guy really loves having a starship come up out of stuff. Huh? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> the first one, they have it come up out of the clouds, which is you know arguably one of the better shots in that movie. Then in this one, it comes up out of the ocean, and then it also comes up out of some the the clouds again yeah. in this one. And in the most recent Star Wars movie, they have all those Star Destroyers come up out of the ice. I don't know what it – is it like – is it his inner inner submarine movie director just screaming to get out or something? Yeah, he must have a favorite movie that does something like that. And he's just like, I want to put this into everything. Why – um in this movie, why are they on the bottom of the ocean? Why can't they use the transporter? I don't fucking know. Uh, they couldn't use the transport. I don't Is the know volcano why. interfering with them or yes, something? Yeah. I don't know why Kirk and McCoy are doing what they're doing. Is it just to get... Are they getting the people to chase them to get them away from the town? I think they're trying to move them away from the volcano safely so right. that they don't see the ship going into the volcano. Yeah. yeah I think. That's, that's, I think that's, that's what it is. That's a little weak, I think. But. I mean, because it's not enough to pull them away from the town because they say that the volcano is going to threaten the entire planet if it blows up. Sure. So, yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I um, I actually, I actually like JJ's direction in this one just because, I mean, the, the amount of close-ups is really comical to me, but ju mm -hmm. just the... the um, kinetic energy he has to the camera in this suits the material a little bit better. And where the first one had kind of slower moments where characters were talking to each other semi-realistically about things, this one doesn't really have any of that. It's it's a lot of uh, very dramatic interactions with people, a lot of running action. Um, the thing that I noticed is there's a tremendous amount of using huge sets in this. Uh, you know, there's the mm. gag where Scotty's running from one side of the oh, vengeance yes. to the other side to get to the other panel. Uh, when Kirk and uh, Khan fall through it, they slide and roll on the ground for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. When they're running through the Enterprise as it's falling apart, they're doing uh, the long sequences of running down hallways and things like that. They, 
it ties into the the movie just feels bigger than the first one but it's like even in the sets and the action pieces just feel like they're on bigger sets and bigger things are going on and lots more running and space to operate in yeah my favorite part is how they 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 bring attention to how big the vengeance is a multiple times and then uh when when they get when khan kirk get onto the ship Khan's like we have to we have to go on foot we can't use the turbo lifts to get there otherwise they'll know we're coming and they're there in like 30 seconds yep yep <laughs> um but yeah it, you know i uh oh the, I, one I last I, director well sorry one last director piece my favorite part of this movie might be when the vengeance fires on the enterprise while they're at warp i love i love that sequence yeah, i think it looks really cool. really cool yeah blo- uh, that you know that's something they've never done in star trek before i thought that was cool um i love the vengeance ship it's a really cool looking ship yeah um my uh one of my favorite little uh details is in I guess it doesn't really make sense, uh, but you're not going to know this on the first watch. Uh, but in in Marcus's office, he has mo- progressive models of spaceships. Oh, he does. That nice. go, yeah. yeah, that go up through the first like Apollo Apollo uh, rocket up through uh, the Kelvin and uh, the Enterprise, and then the Vengeance. Which, yeah, I don't know why he would have a model of his secret <laughs> black ops ship, <laughs> but but it looks cool. Um, Marcus, what's this one? He's oh, just an old man's fantasy. Old man's fantasy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think the direction is good. I mean, everybody in it is good. I think. Uh, um, do, do you like the acting? Like, did I? I think the acting I, is good. I think the actors are doing what they're told, and they're all consistently yeah. doing what they're told. So I can't hold it against any of them. The the scene that doesn't work for me the most and i think it's the scene that really had to work is when khan explains what's going on mm-hmm. and i just in feel the like in the break yeah scene, he's yeah. in he, the in the uh you know silence of the lamb sequence yeah um i feel like benedict cumberbatch is really trying to make this material work and I think he's going over the top with it, and it's not really working for me. Mm. Like if you, I feel he's matching everyone else's over the top energy. I guess maybe. I maybe think that's I th- fair, but I, I just that, I don't. Sorry, I just don't think it works. Okay, you're, you're talking about the all the scene that I think of that, or the shot I think about is when Cumberbatch is in the forefront of the scene, and Kirk and Spock are behind him, and, and Cumberbatch yes. is basically looking at the camera. That's yes. a as as watching that. In the type of energy that Cumberbatch is giving in the performance, I think not cutting during that damages the performance actually because mm, it comes yeah. across as really silly when you when you're staring at him like that for too long. Right. And I think if you cut and you put different angles or you just showed the back of his head from like the other point of view, I think that doesn't make his his incredible lip action <laughs> really stick out as the only thing that you're paying attention to. And I, I understand that maybe they thought this was, this is the kind of performance that we want from this guy, but I think you need to cut during that scene to make it seem less ridiculous. Yeah. It's one of those things where when you're shooting it and you're watching it, you're like, well, we've got Benedict Cumberbatch doing this amazing emotional acting. Doesn't have much outside of this scene either. This is like pretty yeah. much all, 90% of his dialogue is in this. Yeah, and it, I so I could see why you'd want to just let him do his thing, but yeah, it feels it feels kind of silly in the moment, and it feels like a, a it feels a bit too much, or like it's not conveyed visually or something in the in the correct way. And yeah, just what's he looking cut. at? Like, why is he looking at the wall as he's explaining this to them? It's it's yeah. it's a an idea that seems like it's like thought out, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense for why they're why they're doing it. I just it's a very it's a very stagey 
thing. Yes, very stage. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like you know you're on stage because I mean the the whole concept of talking to someone with your back to them through a window is one thing where it's like well they're okay it's a movie but they're not going to be able to hear you in real life yeah uh, like that scene in Bohemian Rhapsody where they're talking very quietly to each other fifty yards away in a rain in the rain yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just feels, it feels like a very theatrical blocking where it's like two characters in the background and then the other one steps towards, uh, uh, towards the audience in order to deliver his emotional scene, you know? So, um, um do you, to stay on con, mm-hmm. was it a mistake to, the, the thing that's interesting to me, and I guess that we, uh, we learned this today in the discord is that the comics retconned this so that Khan has undergone physical surgery yeah. to not look like Ricardo Montalban. Oh, and yeah, sure. and we're going to ignore that because the movies are the only thing that are canon in our opinion. Right. But yeah, it speaks to where and I... And also why? He's 300 years old. Right. They shouldn't... And no one has ever... They didn't know him in TOS when he wakes up. So recognizing yeah. him is not something that means anything at this point. Um I had problems with the timeline in the first movie that I think were actually mistakes. I wasn't really understanding what I was talking about. So I think that the first mm-hmm. one works well. This is where you start to get into problems with the timeline a little bit. about whether or not um, the timeline changed when Nero came back. And I think that this movie is kind of saying that the timeline did change. At least I'm just going on the movies. I know the comics have said something else. But- no, I think it's still intact. Because but you you have to ignore the fact that he is not Montalban. Like, I, I understand right. yes. this is purely yeah. a motion picture thing of, like, the Klingons look different. Why do they look different? But at this point, they're starting to ignore what I think is the fundamental setup of the Kelvin universe. Does that make sense? Um, no. Because, I, cause I, I, I Sorry, could you explain again? I, I, I think that the Khan in this movie, uh-huh. because he is pre-timeline split, should be virtually identical to the other con. Yes. You are you talking about like in in terms of character? Character. Yeah, I mean I can ignore the fact that it's a different actor, but in terms of right. character, he should be exactly the same. Yes. Yeah. Correct. And maybe that's unfair because you're saying these are different movies, but I just think it's the the t- the timeline split is so important to this series that if you bring a character who has been f- literally frozen in time past the point where the timeline splits, Mm-hmm. doing that means that that character should kind of wake up and almost be an audience avatar into like, what a different world I've woken up in here. You know what I mean? Like right. Khan should be as surprised as Khan was to wake up in the original series. This feels like it's almost a different twist on the universe that he would wake up in and be from, uh, and be like that. And, and using well, I, Khan final point now throw it to you. Yeah. Khan doesn't really work in this movie because if you're unfamiliar with Khan, his dramatic introduction is bizarre that he introduces oh, himself 100%. like that. It 100%. just makes no sense. Yeah. Um, on the first point, I agree with you, um, but I think you could hand wave that by saying, we don't know how long he's been awake for. Mm-hmm. So there's a level of... Uh, um, we don't know what acclim- Marcus put him through to get him to this yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, there's a level of acclimation already... Implied there because he's moving around on Earth pretty easily, um, so I I could see, uh, yeah, it, it's it's the it's the it con just doesn't work in this story. Like, it, it, and I and it goes into to the second point, which I 100 percent agree with, which is that if you 
if you watch that scene, even in the movie, if you watch the scene where he reveals who he is, he goes, my name is Khan. <laughs> you know, it's in a real big, yeah. big heavy. Yeah. And then they cut back to Kirk and he's like, yeah, so anyway. Yeah, I'll, like, I'll, update, the pa- I'll update the pa- They react when, uh, when I was in high school and had to tell teachers that I, I went by my middle name. They go, uh-huh. If, like yeah, if I was just in there, it's like my fuck. name is not John. My name is Wes. They go okay, all right. Okay, we'll just write that well, down. I'm still gonna call you John. So <laughs> it says John on the sheet. That's what I'm gonna say. Um, but yeah, like Kirk doesn't give a shit. He, I mean, like, there's no reason that Khan even needs to tell him what his name is, other than for audience benefit. Yeah, there was uh, um, not even a, a full um, name. If he said his full name and Kirk was like, what the fuck does that mean? And he looked him up or something. He doesn't even yeah. give him that. Yeah. Well, they, he probably doesn't say his whole name because then the audience would be like, you know, that's a really not white name. <laughs> and this guy is extremely white. Um, but like, uh, it's it's like in um, uh, Spectre, the James Bond movie. Did you see that one? I don't think so. I think I they saw do a, a Skyfall, similar. They do a similar thing where... They play for about half the movie that um, Christoph Waltz is this other character. And then eventually he reveals himself to be Blofeld. Yep. And they have a similar scene where he kind of gets into, uh, he's in, he's right there with Bond and he's like, no, my name is, you know, Hans, whatever, Blofeld. But the way he delivers it is completely drama free. So it's not like he's turning to the camera and going like, my name is Blofeld, you know, the one villain that people know from this franchise. Yeah. He just, just says an, it in Just fairly, introducing himself as his real yeah, name. Yeah. Which I thought worked a hundred times better because, you know, Bond doesn't know what the fuck that means. And he's not saying it as though the audience needs to know what that means. Like, if yep. you know what it means, cool. If you don't, whatever. But this one, this one, it's like, this is the big moment that just doesn't work because of all of the things that we ju- that you just said about why it's not the same character um it's and it's 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 completely predicated on knowing who this character Khan is yeah and going into the climax of the movie understanding who Khan is from the other stuff which is literally what they do when they call up Spock yeah cuz and even then they don't really give you the full nuts and bolts of everything it's just sort of like yeah he's really bad yeah you know and what yeah sorry go ahead uh, it reminds me of another movie um that came out a couple years ago called the black coat's daughter which is this horror movie um that i was really interested in seeing and i was really into up to a point when they pull a really ridiculous twist and i'm gonna ruin this movie for everybody so there's two storylines going simultaneously right and one of them is this younger girl who's probably like 15, played by, uh, I think it's Kieran and Shipka, the, the girl from um, uh, Mad- Sabrina. Uh, yeah, Mad and, Men. And is Mad Men. I, yeah. And the other girl is played by Emma Roberts, who is like 25, right? Yep. So they're, they're doing these two parallel scenes, these stories about this, you know, these killings and stuff that are happening. And this girl is like communing with the devil and killing people and whatnot. And, and then you find out at the end that Emma Roberts is this an older version of this girl. And they're two different actresses that don't look anything like each other. And the year difference is like maybe, maybe 10 years. Like right. way too, way too little for it to be a believable uh, change. Uh, actress change. Yeah. And it totally took me out of the movie because I thought it was playing 
you know, dirty pool with the twist. Like there's, there's having two completely different character actors play the cat. And, and you know, it's just, it's, I don't think it's fair. It's not fair storytelling to have your twist predicated on the fact that you had two different actors right. play the same character uh, who at different ages within like a time gap where they wouldn't realistically have changed that much. Right. It's like having a uh, a future self come back from a week in the future, but it's a different actor. And you're like, well, exactly. why, why exactly. not just play the same person? Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's the big problem I have with this movie as far as the use of Khan, where they're 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 trying to hide his identity based on using the, this other actor who looks nothing like the character um, as the way to hide the twist. Yep. And a and he has a fake name. Not, he has a fake name for yeah. No he reason. uses a fake yeah. name. Yeah. And A, it didn't work. I mean, like, everybody under the fucking sun knew this was going to be Khan. Like, as soon as the first trailer came out, they're like, oh, that's clearly Khan. And when they were like, oh, no, he's playing John Harrison, everyone's like, bullshit. Well, that, that's my question for you. <laughs> the Why? villain of this movie is not a guy named John Harrison. That's my question, I suppose, right? Say you're, say you're the producers of this, and you're like, we're going to play this game where we're going to hide the fact that this is Khan. What is lost from this movie where... If you were to play this where Khan never says his name, but all the hints are there that that's who this is. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. if he never says his true name, he admits that John Harrison is an alias. He's with this group of super people. He was frozen. He was thawed mm -hmm. out from the Botany Bay. And you walked out and fans of the series would go, that's probably Khan, right? And then the right. producers aren't lying when they say, no, You're like, who knows if it's Khan? Who knows? Like, who could tell? Yeah. And that's yeah, just the better way to approach it. That's probably it. better. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's more interesting. I mean, it's either, I guess it depends on how you look at it, because it's either more interesting in that it creates a level of, um, you know, you, you have questions after the movie that, that make you think about it more, or you come out going, what the fuck? That was just Khan's story. Why didn't they just use Khan, you know? Yeah, I, so, but I guess you could you could even throw in a little bit of like, they're all supermen. That maybe this isn't Khan. It's just another one of the Supermen who have been unfrozen. You know. Yeah. If they had done, if they had kept his name, John Harrison, or used uh, someone online uh, said there was a character named Joaquin that looked fairly similar to to Benedict Cumberbatch, and maybe it was that guy. <laughs> like, if they would you have been satisfied if they had just done the same story with this Joaquin character? It was not Khan, or the, like, let's just say he's John Harrison. He's part of this group. He's he's part of this group of superhumans, and then at the end, when they're going through and showing the seventy-two frozen people, one of the places that they stop is on Ricardo Montalban's face. Yes, I, I wouldn't have minded that actually. I thought that yeah. I think that's fine, and I think that that's a, I think that's a good use of using established canon, which is the frozen people on the Botany Bay, and they're all superhuman. So if you thaw out any of them. You're going to come up with someone who's maybe not as incredible as Khan was, but is effectively sure. a super person who could do these things. Yeah, I think that would be kind of cool. I mean, that's also very fan servicey. Like that's that's something that is only going to work if you know who that character is. Yeah. What if you don't um, see his face and you just see a name on the canister or something? Yeah, that could work too, I guess. But still, it's the same effect. Like if you don't know who Khan is. Right, it doesn't, it, it, does, mean it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. But I, I think that doing that strengthens the narrative because um, you're not just relying on that twist. If you have to hide who right. it is, even if you know that this is Khan and you're writing it that way, you have to still 
work at making that character work and not rely 100% on people are going to really love this when this guy says, I am Khan. People are going to fucking stand up and cheer when this shit happens. And they didn't really do that. Because you're uh, kind of going back to what you were saying uh, earlier. They're changing the character more or less in service of this twist. Yes. So, you know, you could say, oh, he's been around for a while. What his new experiences have changed him. So he's not like Ricardo Montalban or whatever. Sure, you could hand wave that away, but essentially what they're doing is they're changing Khan's character in service of keeping it a secret who this guy actually is. And I think that is not – I don't think that's fair either. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean the other way you could go with it, I think you could go just have it be another one of the guys um, or, you could, you know, or you could imply that it's Khan but never actually say that it is. What if you just come out at the beginning and say that it's Khan and then save another twist for later in the story? So put some sort of spin on that instead of it just being instead of it being oh it's Khan, you know you're kind of in the situation uh, the season one of Discovery situation where everybody figures out what the twist is and so you're just waiting for it to come and then it comes and you're kind of underwhelmed by it and then that's just it. Yeah, they, I guess they kind of flipped it because if you have Khan revealed from the beginning, I guess the twist is that Section Thirty One exists in this movie, right? Sure. Yeah, you yeah. could you and could I, play. And Khan- I mean, honestly. At the time it, when this movie came out, I think that would have been a really – I think Section 31 in Starfleet could have been a much more interesting uh, thing to dig into yeah. um, through the lens of Khan than just being like, oh, Section 31 is also here, but the real bad guy is Khan. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. Because it's like you've got uh, the military-industrial complex stuff. The uh, uh, I mean, the, I thought one of the better scenes in the movie is when they're loading up the ship with the new torpedoes and Scotty is being like, no, we can't. I'm not going to do this. The Starfleet is not we're not a war machine. We're, we're explorers. And Kirk has been fairly militarized by uh, the death of Pike and, you know, the uh, push of Marcus. Yeah. And I, I like that scene a lot. And I wish there was more of that in the movie than. um you know, once Khan reveals himself, it's just, you know, a bang, bang, shoot him up. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I, I think a good way to go with that is I was, I was trying to think of you why even, these are just one more thing. Mm-hmm. You could even use Khan in that case as like, they never take stock of what Khan is in this movie. No, they, they never, they don't explain of, him really. No. Yeah. They just say, ah, super soldier 300 years ago, blah, 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 blah. You, but you've got this guy who is a living weapon cre- genetically created by, you know, like, <laughs> In the original show, I guess it was India, but I don't know who created him. <laughs> um, but you know, he's this genetic, genetically engineered super soldier uh, who is now thrown three hundred years in the future, and and has seen that nothing has changed. Right? You know, yeah. Uh, in his eyes, anyway, nothing has changed, which is why Starfleet needs to be destroyed, or blah blah. I don't know, some shit like that. Yeah. But he, you get a little bit more interesting viewpoint on what the existence of Section Thirty One means. And the way that Starfleet is going because of it uh, through through him. Yeah. I mean, to tie this into the TOS character, he has not yet been uh, – in this timeline, he has not yet been woken up by Kirk in the original timeline, if that makes sense. So he's th- his first experience with being unthawed is Marcus. And right. the thing in Space Seed was that he was – you know, they're basically – they have a superiority complex. It's like, we're better than all of you, so we should be in charge, is the argument that the Khan and his followers make in the episodes mm-hmm. in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And 
in the movies they changed that to make it more of a personal thing. But I, I, if you haven't had Space Seed in this universe, that should still probably be his prime motivation at that point. I don't think you can change that really. Um, yeah, it's too central to his character. And well, you could you could have him, you could have him uh, operating from the viewpoint of, uh, you know, um, this needs to uh, Starfleet needs to be taken down. Make him make him a little bit more of like a uh, anti-hero who is not necessary, or like who has a point of view that is not necessarily wrong. Yeah, it's just um, different from the other bad guys. Basically, yeah, which yeah. is which is, je- but his methods and stuff are just that much more extreme. Where he's like, you know, look look around, look around you, Kirk. Look at what Starfleet is. You're telling me that this is how it should be. That's why I need to. Yeah, you know, nothing's changed in 300 years. He's still believing that he is superior yes. to everybody else. But yep. he's like, that's why I have to destroy. I have to take this all down. Yeah. No, I 100 percent agree. Um, I, I was thinking about why I don't really love these kind of movies, and I think that action movies fall for me in a funny place where um, I think the worst thing that an action movie can be is neither very strongly made, and when I think of strongly made, I'm thinking of things like the 80s action movies would be like Die Hard and Predator and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're pretty bulletproof, those movies. Mm-hmm. Like they're very, they're very clean, very easy. The scripts are usually great. The other action movies that I kind of like are I can ignore the plot because the spectacle is the entire thing, like sure. uh, the riot movies or uh, a lot of uh, sort of Asian kung fu movies or fighting movies, martial art movies, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Fast and the, the Furious raid? would be that way, too. Do you mean the raid? The raid. Sorry, what did I say? Riot? Yeah. Yeah, the raid. Um and I can appreciate those because those I understand what the point of those movies is, and it's not necessarily right. plot. These right. kind of action movies from this era and this movie falls into it are somewhere in the middle, and it's not very satisfying to sit in the middle for those aspects. Mm. I I uh I was listening to the rewatchables. I don't know if you've ever listened to that show. Yep, the Ringer and, uh, uh, Sports Sport, yeah. uh, Bill Simmons podcast. Yep. And they were talking about Dunkirk and they were uh you know they have a section towards the end where they it's called Apex Mountain which yep. is is this is the who is is this possibly the best thing people it's involved a, ever the peak done? of a career yeah is this the yes, peak yeah. of their career and they were talking about Chris Nolan and they were talking about the Dark Knight and somebody said well the Dark Knight is probably the most influential film of the 21st century and I had never thought about that really like that but I don't think he's wrong and I think this movie is a good example of how that is true because this and Skyfall both came out around the same time within like a year or two of each other, I think. And they both feature a post Dark Knight villain who has like this really complicated plot where part of it involves him getting captured. I and mean, that's not exactly what happens here, but it's. This movie has a very post-Dark Knight, the Joker kind of villain in Khan. Except Khan is not intentionally getting captured. In right, this. yes. Yeah, that's the difference. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it has the same kind of feel. You get the same it, it, kind that, of... Maybe that's why I think that he is trying to be captured in this, because I'm like, well, the Joker yeah. did this, so therefore he must have... And, th- and Khan is smarter than the Joker, so he must have some kind of plot going on here. Yeah, but it feels like it's it's of a piece of that era. Yeah, yeah. where it's a it's a it's a combination of uh, post Dark Knight and post Transformers. Well, it's villains where, taking advantage of a hero's weakness, right? Right. Yeah. Right. 
and uh, Transformers being a big one because that was that Transformers was when they realized that apparently the software needed to completely destroy a city wasn't that expensive, mm. and so every single big action movie featured an, a, like this massive destruction of a city, and uh, you put those two things together and you get Star Trek Into Darkness. Like the the fact <laughs> the fact that he, that that. Khan crashes the ship into San Francisco. He probably kills like a million people. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. Abs- I don't know. That whole end sequence is just absurd. It is the 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 fisticuffs between Spock. And- I like oh, that he God. um he doesn't go down with the Vulcan nerve pinch. He just goes ah. Yeah, I like, like that. I, I like I like the, I like <laughs> uh, um Khan being uh less vulnerable to traditional star trek uh yes uh, yeah phasers and stuff and uh, the neck yeah. pinch and things don't work on him whoa he just jumped 30 meters can we beam him up there's too much damage i have no incoming signal but it may be possible to beam you down sir go get him do you want to sum up sort of do you have any like final thoughts about this or do you have anything else to say i i uh i just don't I, f- I find this movie bad, but watchable, I guess. And if someone were sure. to say, do we want to sit down and watch Into Darkness or 2009? I'd probably say Into Darkness, just because I really? think it's like... I, I, I Maybe this is just more of... I, I'm not enamored with 2009, I guess. And to go back to my um my pilot analogy, where that one felt like a pilot movie to kickstart a universe. Mm-hmm. You know how... Sometimes you watch a show and the pilot is one thing and the second episode is something totally different. And you're like, sure. oh, this is what they actually want to do. That's what this feels like to me. They yeah. they made the pilot and then they're like, actually, we're going to up the bombast a little bit. And we got to the second episode. And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure this is the show that I was expecting, really. That's funny because if someone asked me if I wanted to watch 2009 or Into Darkness, I would say Star Trek Beyond. Because mm, I think yeah. Star Trek Beyond does what you're talking about, but I think it does it better. Yeah. Uh, where it's more, it feels more like things are kind of up and running, feels more Star Trek-y. There's more stuff in that that I like enjoy watching, I think. Yeah. I have not um, seen Beyond yet, so this will be my oh, first Oh, at all? Watch. Okay, yeah, that'll be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, I did want to ma- – oh, uh, how do you feel about the use of Section 31 in this? We never, we didn't really talk about it at all. And it's funny because I think when uh, Darren was on the podcast, we talked about it, and you were surprised. You're like, Section 31 is an Into Darkness? And I'm like, yeah, they are, but it's kind of just like a throwaway name mention. Um, oh, yeah. We never have caught it before I watched Deep Space Nine. That's pretty much what it is because otherwise they're just generic bad admiral. There's nothing um, – I mean, he does have a, a somewhat Section 31-y point of view, right? Which is that to, to protect the Federation, I have to do this uh, at this point. Right, right. It just, it's not really nefarious enough or, you know, it, it's it's a reference that I could do without, but it doesn't harm me that he is a member of Section 31 and all that kind of stuff. I um, I think that the fact that... Uh the the head of Starfleet. We're not talking about just like just an admiral. Marcus is the head of Starfleet, right? I don't. I don't know. You 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 have to tell me. I believe that he is referred to as the head of Starfleet. Okay. I'm. I'm you'll have to. Someone will have to check I, me. On I can that. look I this know. up as you're talking. But go ahead. See, I'll make my point, and then you can make my point invalid. <laughs> uh, if if Marcus is in fact the head of Starfleet, the idea. That he is the, the head, head of Star. Of, you you are okay. right. He is the head of Starfleet. Yep. Good. I've bought enough time where this is actually going to make sense. Uh, the the idea that the head of Starfleet um, caused uh, uh, 
was also the head of a black ops organization that was secretly building a warship in order to jumpstart a war with a multi-planet war with the Klingons, which, but in, uh, also unleashes this super soldier who ends up killing half of San Francisco. That would be a, that would take that Starfleet would fall apart. That would be a scandal. Unlike anything the universe had ever seen. Yeah. No. You know, like in regular in the show, Section Thirty One is not Starfleet in the, sh- right, in the show. Right, it's a separate yeah. wing. Yeah, uh, but like admirals, they all except for Admiral Ross. But even there, you can kind of like go. Well, he kind of looks the other way with Section Thirty One. But uh, admirals generally don't turn out to be great people in Star Trek. They always have like one thing that they do where they end up being the villain of the episode. Um, but nobody does anything at a level to this. And this would be some. This would cause the destruction of Starfleet. Yeah. Like if I was the Klingons and I saw that this happened, I would be like, I think this is the time we attack Earth <laughs> because they are in disarray, my friends. No, it's a. Um, it is dis- uh, disrespectful. Might be the wrong word, but it, it is not appreciative of what made Section Thirty One Section Thirty One in the show, which was that it was important that there was a difference between the two things, and Starfleet itself recognized that and made them distinct from Starfleet. It wasn't just a. It wasn't just a um, what's that secret uh, club? The it wasn't just a Masons uh, guild. Oh, the fr- Freemasons. Yeah, it wasn't just a Freemasons guild that he happened to belong to. It was like a a separate little organization that had a goal, and their goal was not really nefarious in that. Like it was, it was there was a rationale to why they exist. Here, it's just he has to be the villain. Head of Starfleet is corrupt. He's doing bad yeah. things. He's RoboCop. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's going to do all this stuff to you. The scale throws me off too. Like, because in in Deep Space Nine, Section Thirty One's missions are fairly um, close combat missions. It's yeah. like one guy sneaking into a place. They don't have dropping, a building. They don't have a building yeah. dedicated to their stuff. They are decentralized. Did be my argument. Yeah. Yeah, they got one guy who's doing some spy shit, sneaking in and trying to either get some files or to stab somebody or poison or whatever. Um, this kind of has this movie kind of has Star Wars uh, Empire problems, yeah. where it's like the number of people in, that you would need involved in order to do this uh, is like is impressive. You, ev- every single person in Starfleet would have to be in on it. Yeah. Yeah. Just to build that ship. Yes. No. No. I. I yeah. That's a, that's a good point. It, it does throw everything out of whack when you think about it. There's uh, the scale. The other, the other thing I want to say is there's so much misdirection, unnecessary misdirection in this movie. Whether it's the, uh, the con thing or the Section Thirty One thing or the torpedo thing or uh, the Carol Marcus thing, which is feels needlessly obscured at yep. first. Um, it's just a lot of 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 uh, misdirection on top. The of only thing on her that is obscured, Clay. Hey, yo, yeah. man. You know, I didn't really consider it at the time, but fuck, that shot is absolutely gratuitous. Like this, <laughs> she looks good. She, she looks gr- she looks great, but there's no reason that that shot should be in the no, movie. No, it's honestly. it's very very strange, very strange. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's just it's it's it feels like. That thing that uh, Lindelof and J.J. J. Abrams get accused of a lot, which is like mystery box for the sake of mystery box and yep. not in the service of story at all. Yeah. The fun is wondering. Um, right. And, you know, it's once you find out the truth, it's like, yeah, OK, yep. keep, keep going, I guess. 
So yeah, that's what that's what makes it feels really weird to me. Um, I think that's about it. Yeah, uh, Kyle will be mad if we don't mention the music. The music is fantastic. I didn't mention it that much in the last one, but I love the soundtrack. I think Michael Giacchino's score for these movies is amazing. Yeah, I I, I think it's good. It doesn't um, it doesn't knock me out of watching like it doesn't um do the positive thing of like i don't i don't really notice it as it's going which is maybe a compliment but it's it's not like a john williams score and i know that i'm comparing someone to john williams but i'm just saying that i i like the music but it doesn't there's not a scene where i'm like oh i'm just gonna focus on the music for a little bit now and that never happens in these yeah i think it's 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 fairly um it's very thematic. It fits the material. Yeah. yeah, it's mixed in really well. But I think that his he's he wrote a really great uh, hero theme for the for the movies. Mm-hmm. So every time they have a dramatic hero movement, they move uh, moment. They play that blah 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 blah, yeah. blah yeah. which is really effective. I think that's really great. And the way that they uh, over the closing credits, the way that they mix in the original theme with yep. that and stuff is just really really well done. No, that, that's why that... I was so when I saw Rogue One. I was so excited for the music in Rogue One because I saw he was doing it. I thought the Rogue One music was garbage. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because but the, I know he only had like a week to do it or something. But. The the hero theme in this is good because it's um it feels very of the franchise, uh, yeah, which is really definitely. all that you're expected to do it's, at that point. And it's the kind of theme you don't really get anymore. Yeah. Um. It one of the uh, big critiques of the Marvel movies is how the music is fairly innocuous and all kind of similar. And uh, I don't think that's – I mean, generally, yes. But I do think that they have written uh, themes for the characters. They're just not as – they don't stand out as much as, say, Danny Elfman's Batman or, or um, John Williams' Superman, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but I think this is one of those classic scores where it's like this is the this is the theme, the Star Trek theme. Yeah, you know? yeah. All right, let's uh let's wrap it up there. I guess if you if you guys enjoyed the content, thank you very much for listening. Best way to support the show is patreoncom Lepensky file. A couple dollars a month gets you extra podcasts and the ability to vote, control what we talk about. And as always, that's it, what you have to do to vote in this country. Is you have to listen to our it is pay for yeah. Our yeah I'm, I'm once I need to, I'm going to start pushing out IDs actually that you need to vote. But we'll get there when we get there. Once we get to a certain Patreon uh, limit uh, level, I guess. Special thanks go to our Captain Tier supporters. Andrew Sherlock, Ben Douglas, Captain Court, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Moss, David Beermore, David Cage, Wayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, YRP, Jeffrey Koch, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Cal Barrett, Mad Courier 6, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Nellett, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim, Santo, Sean, Spinobi, Tark Latif, Tom Howells, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. All the social media links are down below. Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can find old episodes of the podcast at thepenskypodcast.com. That's thepenskypodcast.com. We've got so many episodes now that they don't all show up on the podcast feed. So if you want the older ones, you can go there. And I think that's pretty much it. We'll be back with um, Star Trek Beyond. will be the final Kelvin movie. And then we'll be moving on to Star Trek Picard after that. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, hopefully I did all my sniffling far enough away from the mic that it's not grossing everybody out i'm on like the tail end of my cold so we'll be better i'm gonna i'm gonna blow my nose for the rest of my life as soon as we're done (laughs) be ready for picard i guess at that point too and uh all the other shows you can find at the if you're so interested we've got a bunch of different podcasts and a brand new one will be coming out the rotten horror picture show with clay and amanda that'll be out next week or this week i guess this week the week that this podcast comes out uh you guys will be talking about the shining correct 
The Shining? Yes, the first episode will be The Shining. I think that's it. Thank you very I much. I also, I, I, sorry, we didn't even talk about how the the death, the Wrath of Khan death is completely invalidated like five minutes later by bringing Kirk back to life. Yeah, in a very, the, a very you know, we're wrapping this up kind of way. Yeah, you know, uh, this movie sucks. Good thing. <laughs> At least you can just experiment freely on tribbles in the Star Trek universe. It's a, yeah. it's a good plus. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's no it's no great shakes. But we'll call it there for a day. Let us know what you guys thought about the movie. You can write your comments down below. You can email us. You can meet us on social media, all that stuff. Into darkness. It is what it is. We'll be back with Star Trek Beyond, which I have not seen, but Clay seems to like quite a bit. And I think all the people on Discord enjoy Beyond as well. So we'll be back with that. Thank you guys very much for listening, and we'll see you later. 